DJ, PK, and Mark Eaton joining us now. Jerry Sloan passing away at the age of 78, and Mark played for him for a long time and has a lot of great memories. Mark, thanks for checking in with us this morning. We appreciate it. Not the best time or the best circumstances, but we certainly appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Eh, no, it's not. But, um, you know, he was battling with his body for a long time, and so as sad as I am to see him go, I'm, I'm also happy that he's, that he's free and back to who he was. Where do you start, Mark? I don't know where you start, but try it. Um, you know, I, I think that um, the, the, what I loved about Coach was uh, just his consistency, his commitment to doing it the right way, his integrity in the locker room and on the court. And, um, and, and I think that he made a lot of players better. I think he helped a lot of guys along the way with his uh, toughness and um and what i always appreciated about him was that you every day you came to work it was exactly the same thing as you guys well know his his post-game press conferences sounded like reruns each day um (laughs) but um but great coaches have simple executable philosophies and and that's how jerry was and um you were either with the program or you weren't but he wasn't changing and I think that's what endeared him to other coaches and to the, and to the you know the league and the industry as in general was the fact that he he stuck to his principles. Um, the management and the ownership got behind him, uh, and together created some amazing results. And um, and at the same time, you know when you got done with the game and you went out and had a beer afterwards to sit and chat with him and really be friends with him. Um, it's a pretty rare thing in a leader, and uh, uh, and so I think that's what I really appreciated about him the most. Uh, and he was a, a real guy. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy I could say, Coach, I'm building a fence today. Can you come help me dig some post holes? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Uh, I mean, that's just, um, you know, that... Uh, that down home philosophy, and if you want to really look at his his background, go back and look at his the the Hall of Fame acceptance speech he did at, at Naismith a few years ago, and um, I think that really hits home to how he grew up and the in the difficulties he had, you know, and in, in being a you know from a kind of a dirt poor farming community, and and uh, he just he never changed, he never wavered, and I think that's what I, I remember most. Being there for that speech, I remember how much uh, how much the room just settled down and quieted down and locked in on him trying to figure out who this guy was and his backstory. It was one thing to hear it. I've never been to McLeansboro. Did you ever have a reason to go there and then go outside of town where the farm actually was, where he grew up? Yeah, I've been there. Um, it's a small little farming community, community a couple hours from St. Louis and southern Illinois, and um, you know, you could just see where I grew up. I mean, it's soybean farmers and, and bean farmers, and and it's the kind of place where you you, know, you get up in the morning and go down to the diner, and there's just the farmers are hanging out there and, and talking about their crops and the weather and everything else. It's just, uh, it was a real, uh, you know, I mean, eye-opening experience for me to see really what it was like back there, and, and uh, but also really helped to understand the fabric of, of who he was, even if you here in Salt Lake City or elsewhere didn't really understand it or kind of wonder, like, what's this guy talking about? When you go back there and see where he's from and meet the people that, you know, the friends he had for 50, 60 years, 
um, <clears throat> it's just a, it's you know, it's the, it's the you know, the heartland of America. You talk about together with management created some incredible results, and obviously that management starts uh, with Larry Miller. And mm-hmm. can you describe how those two were so alike in many ways? Yeah, both incredibly driven, um, and and both you know could get get excited about stuff and and upset about stuff, and um, you know we were were they never held back. They always told you how it was and how they saw it, and you like it or not, but that's how it was going to be. And I think that's why they got along well together. I, I think they butted heads from time to time, but I think Larry really appreciated the intensity and that. And, and again, that integrity on the court that that Jerry brought to the game every day. He was so intense. He worked so hard, uh, and drove his team to get everything he could out of them. And I think that's what that's why I think Larry stuck with him because um, you know, as you know, in pro sports, it's the easiest guy to replace is the coach, right? And yeah. um, so, uh, and and Jerry was always cognizant of that. Uh, and and Larry, I think, went the extra mile to say, "We're here with you, Jerry. We got you." He knew he wasn't going to find a better coach, um, and that Jerry was the man for the job. And that's why he stuck with him so many years, and and really in an unprecedented fashion in all of pro sports. I, if I recall, when he retired, he was the longest tenured coach in professional sports. Um, and, and it was largely due in part, which Jerry always gave a lot of credit to, to the ownership of the team. So Jerry clearly wore well on a lot of people because of the long association, obviously, with uh, Larry Miller and then the long association with John and Carl. And he, people saw the combative, competitive side during games when he'd be hollering about whatever at a player or a ref. But can you share some more stories about how low-key and genuine he was away and what a nice guy he could be away from all of that? Because you can't have these long relationships if you're, you know, just banging your head against the wall all the time and hollering at everybody. Yeah, I, I think that, that's, that, again, was one of his, his great traits was that ability to just keep it real. And he demanded a lot. He expected a lot. But when the game was over... Um, he was happy to go, you know, fishing or go have a beer or go to dinner or uh, whatever it was and, and just be your best friend. And I know he went on, you know, hunting trips with Carl and he'd go up and see John and, uh, and vice versa. And, you know, I've been on a few trips with him here or there. And um, it's just, um, he's just that kind of down-home guy. And he talked to anybody. And, uh, you know, I remember the old stories in the, from the when he first came to town. He, he had this uh, white van and he'd, he on days off, he would just drive around the countryside looking for old cars or old tractors or things like that. I mean, that's just who he was. He had no problem pulling over to a guy's house and saying, hey, you know, can I talk to you about that tractor there? You know, that's a international whatever, 1958, blah, 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 blah. And um, striking up a conversation and, and um, you know, with his John Deere hat on. And, and <laughs> that's, just, that's just who he was. And uh, that's, what, that's what we all loved about him. Yeah, how crazy is that, Mark? Here was a big-time celebrity who obviously didn't view himself as anything but, or anything such, I should say. No, he didn't. He never, he never, uh, you know, forgot his roots or who he was, and um, and I think that's what endeared him to everybody because with all the other 
stuff that goes on in pro sports and media and everything else and all the crazy stories that are out there, here, here was one guy that was like terra firma, right? One guy you could count on. You knew what he was going to say. You knew what he was about. And you could get behind that. And I think that's what endeared him to, uh, to the fans and to the guys that played for him. He didn't like to complain a lot. What was the stuff that really wore him out, though? What wore him out is people doing their own things or thinking that they knew something smarter than or better than he did out on the court and, uh, you know, breaking off plays and taking taking shots that he didn't like and, and you know, or getting lazy on defense. I used to drive him crazy. I used to remember once I watched him sitting in the, in the, um, in the film room and they would uh, – and when when a play broke down and the team took off the other end, they wanted to at least see that effort. I can always remember him saying, like, get in the frame, get in the frame, get in the frame. He wanted to see guys running back and at least making an attempt to stop the ball uh, because that, to him, showed effort. And so, the, you know, if you played defense and you, could, and you were willing to go in there and fight and battle for a rebound and, and, and get a little dirty out on the court, he loved that. If you tried to... You know, play basketball as it's said in a tuxedo. He had no, you know, he had no, no time for you. And um, uh, and so, if you understood that and were willing to take that on, great. And you got along famously. Um, but he was looking for guys who are willing to work. Okay, Mark. When you say playing in tuxedo, you just took me back 25, 30 years, because that that's right out of his mouth, isn't it? Well, I, it's, I've heard it from a variety of coaches over time, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's right out of his philosophy of like, you know, there's some guys out there that want to play and just shoot the ball and never get touched. <clears throat> and um, as we've seen most recently from the last dance, that's not how 80s basketball was played. Um, you know, you had to be willing to grovel and go after guys and, and uh, adhere to the philosophy of no layups and um, Jordan rules and all those kinds of things. And uh, and so, uh, you, you know, if you if you thought you were the pretty guy out there and not gonna, no one was gonna mess with you and no one's gonna touch you, yeah, it wasn't gonna work. Uh, that your your place would probably be better on another team where guys just shoot and run up and down the court and play summer league basketball. <laughs> okay, tuxedo's a good line. Get sideways. How many times did you hear him say that one? Get sideways. Get sideways. Yeah. That's a classic. Well. Oh yeah. Well, you know, there were certain positions um, where you were just, you know, he he was just adamant that you stayed and focused on your own man. When when Phil Johnson was the assistant coach before uh, Jerry's arrival, uh, and even and even while before Jerry became the head coach, uh, you know, we we played more of a switching style defense and a rotational style defense. And when Jerry became the coach, he said, nope, we're playing one-on-one defense. You are responsible for your man. And um, I was actually talking to Bobby Hansen yesterday about this, um, that, that it was so tough on him being a two-guard because that was Jerry's position. And when he's guarding Clyde Drexler or something and, and there we're practicing and he's showing Bobby how to get over the top of the pick, you know, to, to put your hand through and get sideways and, and get through that pick, um, you know, they would come to blows, you know, frequently or almost to blows frequently because uh, because Jerry had a certain way to do it. And he was so intense about it. And if you didn't do it that way, man, you're going to have a problem. How was he able to get so much out of everybody? Didn't matter if you were an end of the bench guy to two Hall of Famers. Because he took the time to get to know the players. He wasn't a coach that just showed up and said, OK, practice starts now. OK, practice is over. See you guys tomorrow. 
uh, he cared about guys. And the, the fact that he was willing to, you know, go to dinner after a game or have a beer after the game and sit and chat with guys, and he had that open-door policy, I think that was, uh, you know, that was what uh, guys respected because he knew, players knew that he cared about them and cared about them as people. And, you know, he'd say hi to your family when they came in from out of town or whatever it might be, and he cared about your kids and everything else. And I think that's, I think that's what really uh, set, him, uh, set him apart because there's a lot of coaches. You hear talking to other players that played for other NBA coaches, and they're like, hey, it was just business, you know, like, uh, okay, the bus is at three, da 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 you know, show up and play, and then at the end of the year we'll evaluate and see how you did. He was actively involved in the lives of guys that that um, that played for him, and and I think players respected that because it was having a mentor and having a coach that 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 really cared. He demanded a lot, yeah, but he still cared about you, and that's a a fine balance. And very few leaders can do it, um, but he he navigated that very successfully. You know, he took the job at Evansville, and then after five days, he quit and walked away from it at his alma mater. And a few weeks later, the plane crash kills the entire team and coaching staff. And he'd talk about it occasionally, but not a lot. It seemed like it left a huge mark on him and you kind of how he spent the time and, you know, how he worked on relationships. Did he ever talk to you about that a lot, or was that something that was off limits? No, I, I, I know that, that it did affect him deeply, and just like you guys, he would say something occasionally about it, but I never, I never went there with him. Uh, I know it was a traumatic thing, and, and, uh, uh, and I think it maybe reset his purpose or reset his outlook of how he, um, how he felt fortunate, and, um, and also I think doubled down on his humility of who he was uh, and, and maybe gave him a, a different appreciation as an event like that would for life. Um, but um, I, I never really uh, got into that with him. You know, what I found amazing as the years have gone by, players who have maybe had some well, tough times, I don't want to say altercations, but you know, maybe didn't get along, and the Darren Williams one is obvious. It seems like all these guys have come out and to, to an extent, uh, basically apologized and said, you know, almost like a parent. Okay, when I became a parent, then I learned what my parents were trying to do as they taught me. And I've seen that from players as they've gone on and grown up and, and left the game and all that. And, and to me, and I want to get your thought on it, it says a lot about what they think of Jerry Sloan that years later they were able to reflect on it and do it positively. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very true, and um, you know, you have a tendency when you're an athlete. Uh, I mean, sometimes life in general, so your ego gets the best of you, right? And you think you yeah. are the hot stuff when you show up here and ready to play, and no coach is going to tell me something. And maybe that's the result of other coaches or other teams you played on uh, that you think it's just going to be, uh, you know, the same here. And and Jerry challenges you, and you don't like it. And then you end up parting ways. Then years later, yeah, you do. You you have a recognition, like you say, you get in some other situation or being a parent, whatever it is, and you say, "Wow, you know, Jerry had some some pretty good philosophies about life, and probably something I should pay attention to." And wow, I really appreciate it much more now than I did when I was actually a player. And I and I think we we definitely saw that in the in the case of D. Will, uh, you know, his willingness to come back and try and make amends with Coach and. Um, uh, so you know, again, it's just a, it's just that endearing quality about him that, uh, as tough as he was, you know, you if you followed what he did, the results would be positive. 
You know, a lot of fans love to hear from, uh, you know, John and Carl because they're so, you know, they're so linked. But uh, I know those guys the last couple of days have stayed away from requests on any reflections or thoughts or anything. Um, can you talk a little bit about how hard it is on those guys? Because they're, they're staying quiet for a reason. Well, I mean, a good portion of their adult life is spent with Jerry. And, and um, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, Carl played oh, what, 18 years for the Jazz. And I think John probably the same or seven I can't remember exactly how many years it is it was forever um, I played with those guys for like nine years and they still played another ten years after that uh, so they spent a good portion of their life with that with that man and they're, and it's family I mean you're together seven days a week for seven months uh, a year and uh, or longer depending on the playoffs and uh, you get to know each other uh, and uh, so I know it's been very difficult on them and I know they've they both had the opportunity to, to, to see him in the last few weeks um, but uh, you know I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for those guys because they you know they had a whole even deeper relationship than I did with coach just just from the sheer fact that they spent 10 more years together on a daily basis He really set the foundation for this jazz franchise. If the jazz franchise is around for 100 more years, whatever it might be, don't you think that we can trace stuff back to Larry Miller and Jerry Sloan and, and really you and, and, and Stockton Malone basically forever? Yeah, I think the, the culture of the team and what the team is known for has always, is, is based in that. It's, it's, that's the foundation of who the Utah Jazz are. It's those early years when... You know, Frank convinced us that, that defense was more important than offense and trying to change the culture of the team to play aggressively and run on opportunity. And then, and then Jerry, and that sets the foundation. We start winning and, be, you know, go from a, a doormat of the NBA to a, a team of respectability. And then Jerry coming in and saying, okay, now we're going to turn up the heat. Now we're going to take you to the next level. And I'm going to demand more from you guys every day. And... Um, and then all those great years of, of playoff runs and going to the finals and everything else, yeah, it just kind of cemented that in. Is that that's who the Jazz is? And I think all the, you know, the the, the teams that came after that, uh, I think uh, have to live up to that standard. And I think that's what the fans are looking for. And and you see it. I watch it in the stands, even you know, with the team today. Uh, when great defensive plays happen, when guys grovel on the floor for the ball, when somebody makes a steal or a block shot, I mean, fans stand up. They give them a standing ovation. Like, that's the effort they want to see, and all that is steeped back in the philosophy that was started back in the 80s. Mark, hard time to come on the air, but uh, you shared a lot of uh, good stories, and we really appreciate your time. And uh, I know you were close with Jerry, so sorry for the loss here. Condolences, obviously. Well, well thank you very much, guys. He was a great man, and sorely missed and at the same time again I'm, I'm happy he's in a better place thanks mark okay guys